Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Let's talk about today's episode. Today on Obsessed Show, I'm chatting with co-founder and creative director of special guest, Aaron Duffy. He was named one of the most creative people in advertising by Adweek and Business Insider, but I'm especially curious to hear about what he calls the creative director-led model at Special Guest. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Aaron Duffy. Okay, kids, all the way from the Special Guest office in Brooklyn, I've got Aaron Duffy with me today. Aaron, welcome to Obsessed Show. Thanks, Josh. It's really good to be talking um, and that was, that was a whole lot of really nice things to say. Thanks. <laughs> you bet. Well, I'm, I definitely want to dig into this creative director led model because I feel like there are creative directors listening right now who are going, yes, tell me more about this. I want to know more about me, but we will leave them on the edge of their seats. So I want to start where we typically start this show, which is, I want to know about your origin story. So your body of work from what I've seen from my little internet sleuthing is a little bit, a little bit film, a little bit advertising. There's definitely some creative director in there. Like what, what came first for you and how did you find yourself in this world of creative direction and film? I am obviously really lucky that I had a world that I grew up in that people really encourage creativity, but that was, it was always very, extracurricular I guess you might say Mm. growing up and I think I might have been one of the few from my high school I could be wrong about this to decide to go to art school out of high school Um, I thought I wanted to be an artist an independent artist I loved sculpture I loved making things with my hands but there was always something that wasn't quite enough about just making my own work or putting my own ideas out there. I think I always felt while I was in school that there needed to be some kind of greater communication or to put the ideas towards something. And I, I remember struggling with that a lot in those early years until I, I did a semester abroad in Florence, Italy, and also thought I was just going to learn more about how to be an artist there, but ended up looking at a lot of the artwork that you see everywhere around Florence and having this sort of epiphany that the art, the architecture, everything that was around there, we were learning how, how much that Renaissance work was essentially commercial work or advertising, whether it was advertising for the church or, or for the Royal family or something like that, it, it sort of, it blew my mind a little bit because it was a time where most of that art was being put towards something, was there to communicate something. And, and I think in terms of an origin story, that was, that was a big turning point for me to think, I love being creative, I love creating things, but I, I personally really love creating things for something. Uh, I love going to museums, but I don't, and I also love feature films and things like that, but I don't ever see myself really working on those things. I, I like the idea of uh, communicating with, uh, 
creativity. And so it really led me in that direction from there. Yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing to think about those classical artists um, doing things in, in churches and sculptures and that, you know, those were commissions. They weren't just self-expression. But to think of those as like commercial pieces is kind of, I can see how that'd be mind-blowing. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's necessary. It doesn't mean that people need to change how they look at that work. They can enjoy it for what it is. And we'll probably talk about the you know perception and, and creativity and things like that, which is really important to me later on. But the, the perception shift of being able to look at it as fine art just as much as you can look at it as advertising, I think is important in viewing old work like that and also in creative directors today or directors or artists looking at what they do with their own work there's sometimes a fine line between something even that can be considered propaganda versus artwork versus a communication um uh commercial communication so i I, I like that the world hates advertising because I like to try and figure out how to actually convince people that there's some some aspects of advertising that people can love that's actually pretty amazing. That's that is you maybe you'd say museum worthy um, in that way. You know what? What's interesting? Um, my my origin wasn't so interesting as as Florence, but <laughs> in high school I saw this. Um, it was a documentary film about an agency that was working for Porsche or Porsche, depending on which side you butter your bread on, I suppose. <laughs> and, and they were um, pitching this concept and the client hated it and they trashed it and they started over and it kind of cataloged how they went from a trashed concept to a new concept and sold it through and the client loved it. And somehow my sadistic mind looked at that and thought, that's what I want to do when I grow <laughs> up. Yeah. So who's sort of the looking at contemporary stuff and understanding how advertising works as opposed to kind of classical stuff. But um, so I'm curious how um, special guest came to be. What what tell us a little bit about the agency and kind of the origin of that itself? Sure. Well, I started as soon as I got out of school, I met my founders at first at, uh, founding partners, uh, Serge and Arvin and Sam. And at the time we were very squarely in the business uh, as a production company, which is first app machine. And I've been a director at first app machine since 2007, since I first met them. And that is something I love to do. I, I, I love to direct. We love to get briefs from wherever they come from, but mostly from ad agencies. And we uh, try and do more unexpected experimental things with those briefs. And I think that's a lot of times what, what people come to us for. At the same time, there was something different happening. And this, I think, aligns with the sort of shift in the industry, especially more of the big tech companies in the 2008, 9, 10s, starting to advertise more there was a shift in how those big companies would work how they would make advertising who they would make advertising with 
and we didn't really have a good way of servicing clients directly at that time. And we didn't really want to change what First Ave Machine was. And we thought we, we would try and learn how to start another business model. Um, and so we created Special Guest in order to figure out how do we not just think of ourselves as a, uh, having production company abilities, but more having creative development, creative strategy, uh, brand storytelling, and even you know design abilities that we don't normally apply to our production company and directing work. So that's that's really where Special Guest came from. It was really just because there were there were brands coming to us, and at first we just didn't quite have a way of servicing them, and so we created Special Guest to do that, and it's grown into uh, you know most of my time now where it used it switched a couple of years ago from spending most of my time directing now to spending almost all of my time running special guest as a creative agency with some really great clients. That's really interesting that not only that you had the foresight to see that opportunity, but now that that thing has taken over in priority over the directing piece. Um, and I, I know just because I've been reading your material that the pitch is really around this creative director led model. So unpack for us a little bit, what exactly that means. Yeah. The something that is really important to me just because it's a little bit of my background and origin story, I guess you'd say like you asked about earlier that I, I wanted to, I want to find more people, constantly find more people that come from my background that might've been directors, might be um, art directors, uh, might be artists, but have these communication abilities and sort of strategic minded people that can think about advertising a little bit differently and almost think of that group of people that we put together as sort of roster based. And we've been finding a lot of really great people to do that. You know, on the, on the production company side, as, uh, as a production company, we have a roster of directors. And you can kind of think of that group of directors as um, a place where anyone who needs something directed to come to that window and, and shop for the director that they think is best for them. I want it to be like that for creative directors as well, just more for brands coming to us. So a brand might see a creative director that they really love, uh, love their work and style and be able to sort of handpick that creative director and work with them. The reason I like it is just because that's mostly the way that it, it works for me. Um, a lot of the brands that come to us, there's might've been something that I made that they, they see the work or they, they've referenced it somehow and they want to find some way of doing something like that for their brand. And there's so many creative directors and, and artists that we know that can have that same connection with a brand. And so I think that in this new era of the way things that are working, we see brands really just wanting to find someone like that and work with them. It's a little bit different, I think, than, than coming to a big agency and wanting the, 
that entire package. A lot of the things that we do are, are campaign, big campaign driven, but sometimes are, are just like an amazing project that a brand wants to get done. And so between those two things, just allowing that creative director led introduction to work, allow people to sort of shop in the window and say, we want to work with this person. Um, it's not the only way that the industry will work, but I think a lot of times it, it will work that way. Just work with amazing people, um, work with a creative director that you love, um, work with the style that you're looking for. So are the creative directors that you are pairing with these clients, are these independent creatives or are these people that are kind of part of um, creative guest as a, or special guest as a full-time staff person? It's a uh, half and half. So um, right now, for example, Lake Buckley is staff as a creative director and she, we, we work together on a lot of things and, but she also creative directs um, her own work uh, through special guest. And then there's, there's other creative directors that I've just met over time throughout the last dozen years or so that I've been doing this um, that I've talked to that are excited about being part of this that are more are, are independent or freelance, but we pull them in to kick off these projects and bring them to life. So uh, it kind of works in both ways, um, freelance and independent. I think in some cases, I, I, I really like the idea that we'd be able to make the independent route work uh, a lot of times just because that that allows us to to really find that maybe a lot of those creative directors that have been leaving the the bigger agency world that want to have the chance to work on some really like unexpected or experimental stuff um, uh, and really lead it from beginning to end through like a special guest model yeah that's that's super cool um, I I have to imagine too. So first Av is your production side and that, yep. that, that came first and then special guest kind of followed from that. Um, I find it interesting too, that we have really similar job titles between the film world and the advertising world, like creative director, director, art director. And they don't necessarily mean the same thing as you translate over from one to the next. Is, is that ever, kind of an awkward transition when you say, oh, women creative director like this kind of creative director, not creative director like that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in a way there are, there are different meanings of it across different parts of the industry, but in a way it's all kind of semantics all the time. I think I don't, mm -hmm. I'm using the term creative director as creative minds, ideators, thinkers that I think are really top level and can bring really amazing campaigns together. And they may have come from directing world like myself, or they may have come from advertising world, or they might just be, and we're working with an amazing illustrator right now who I, for the purposes of this, this project we're working on, I think is definitely an amazing creative director for that project. So, um, you know, we're working with a choreographer on another project who essentially is the creative director for it. So I, I think it's, it's, it's the leader of the creative vision and 
if if I could just say create a vision leader, I would say that, you know, <laughs> right. but because um, that, that's really what it is, but it's a little awkward turn of phrase. I like that creative vision leader. Um, so I ask this question all the time and the answer is typically, I don't have a typical day. So that's not mm-hmm. the answer I'm looking for. I understand that you are probably doing some balance of your time between these two companies and wearing lots of hats. What might a typical day or typical week uh, have you doing or, or what kinds of things are you doing, especially as you're running special guests? Like, what does that look like? It, I, you know, a year ago, I would have answered the way you don't want me to answer, but, but the, <laughs> the, 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 I had a, I have a 17 month old now and, and okay, I've had to, thanks. I've, I've had to make a bit more of a structured typical day in some ways, of course, totally different things are happening all the time, but I try to, I, I, I get in at, at 9am or a little earlier every day. The rest of the team mostly is, is sort of scheduled. You might say to come in at 10am, but that nine to 10am period is there almost like office hours a little bit so that we can work together on things outside of the craziness of the day. I, it's, it's kind of, and then I'm, I'm even happier when, when no one has any office hour needs because, <laughs> because I have so much other stuff that I really want to think about and work on. So that's yeah. like a, that, that nine to 10 AM period of time is huge. And then the, my account director and, and one of the most important people in, in special guest world right now is, is Tazri Afrin. And we, uh, around 10 a.m. will always sort of sync up on all the things that are going on in our world, uh, whether it's in production or pitching or, you know, we do a sort of sync for an hour. And then the rest of the day is scheduled running from one project to another where, where I'm needed on those things if they're not scheduled meetings with clients during that day. Um, I try and leave about an hour during every day just to think about special guest as a brand and, and what we want to do with it. Because like I said, I, I, I've built that in because a year ago I just wasn't doing that. Special guest has been so organic in a way. We even were just talking on a call recently, this me and the partners that we've never done sales as special guest, which is kind of dumb, but everything that has, everything we've worked on has been kind of someone that's come to us wanting something. And, and we've just been in that mode where we've just been trying to keep up with that amount of work. Um, just the things that are coming to us. And we are only just getting to the point where we can really turn that into a sales effort where we reach out to people instead of just waiting for everything to come to us and be more um, pick and choose the things that we want to work on. So that I, I try and leave an hour during the day now just to do that. And that hour normally gets eaten up by something, but it's, it's an important time during the day. And I, every, every day ends like a, a little bit differently. It depends what, what campaign is 
is intense at that moment. Right now, we are uh, programming a robot to a <laughs> robot arm. To, yeah, we're programming a, 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 a almost a five foot robot arm to dance with these performers for a fashion week event for Agamemnon. Oh, very cool. And and it's it's very unpredictable. You know, how, like as the the program is programming is being done and the choreographer being ready you know when things will happen and that that is very the unpredictability of that is very typical of the 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 more experimental things that we do but trying to make a schedule where things sort of slot in and fit is always i think a good thing to try and do especially for the sanity of the rest of the team because we all need to be constantly syncing with each other and trying to schedule things as much as possible and then when they don't line up they don't line up but it's really worth trying to to stick to something. Well, you guys have got a pretty crazy, impressive client list between Google, Rag and Bone, OK Go, Snapchat. I mean, just to name a handful of those. What is it, do you think, that um, makes for a really good client fit for special guests? The The thing that we are always excited about is getting even any kind of hint or feeling of ambition, a combination of ambition and confidence from the people that we're talking to. You can be sort of ambitious, but not be very confident in what you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you can be really confident about something that's not very ambitious. (laughs) So I think, (laughs) I think I'm sure I don't want anything. That's all that interesting. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) can you do that? Exactly. Yeah. And, and we, the answer to that question is yes, we, we can do it, but I don't think we're very good at unambitious things, to be honest. And I think the world needs sometimes things that aren't that ambitious. I'm not saying everything needs to be robot arm driven or, or AI based or something like that. It, it, um, I, I actually, I, I wish we were a little better at not reinventing the wheel sometimes, but, uh, that's just something for us to work on. But I, we get very excited when a client has those qualities. The way that we work is sometimes a little different for what clients can be used to. We sort of consider ourselves to be a bit more of a SWAT team that comes in to be a part of our client's world. We don't really like to take the brief and disappear for a couple weeks when we think we've cracked it. We really like clients who are more hands-on and kind of want to work almost day to day with us on cracking it. And not every client necessarily wants to do that and we're okay with that. Uh, but we think the, our clients know way more about their brands obviously than we do at the start anyway. And we try and use that as much as we can, as much as they're willing. And a lot of times I think uh, what I hear is that when our clients are working with us or probably when our our clients are working on any kind of creative project is the best part of their day. So usually they're excited to do that. And uh, we, we, we try and like make that a great experience as well as like get great work out of it. You know, the first senior art director that I worked with in advertising had this 
old photocopied sign above his desk and it said, my rate is $50 an hour. It's $75 if you watch and $100 if you help. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that that's kind of the classic creative mindset though. Like, hey, don't look at what I'm doing. I'm going to go off into the cave. I'm going to create something amazing. I'm going to come out with it. You applaud or tell me to go back, but like, but don't get involved in my mess here. So uh-huh. it's interesting that you guys are so like hands-on with the client, even to the point of co-creation or involvement kind of in those early stages. Why, why do you feel like that's a better solution? Well, I'm not saying it, it's a perfect system. It's just the system that we, we love the most. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that everyone needs to work that way. And, and what was above your, your, your collaborators desk is if they, if that's the way they work, that is good for them. For us, I just genuinely think that the idea that clients aren't creative is just false. Mm-hmm. Like it, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what, what, what their creativity level is necessarily just because they're the client doesn't mean you should shut them out. And oftentimes they actually have like really amazing ideas. They just need to be, you just need to work with them. And the idea that there are these sort of ivory towers of creativity where only that happens at agencies and and things like that is kind of proving to not be true. Just if you look at all the in-house creative teams that are being built today, which I think is, it has, there, there's some, some evidence that it doesn't work sometimes, but for the most part, I think it's the right direction. The human beings, I think are generally creative and in different ways. And the idea that there's some people that are creative and some that are not, I just think isn't true. And it's just about there, there are some people who can help sort of pull that out of people. And I, I hope that we actually do that more than say that we have all the answers. I don't, I think we're actually just super lucky that we get to do what, what we do, that we get to spend a life sitting in rooms and shooting things and building things (laughs) on a creative level. There's really like nothing better than that. And I think the even better part of that is you get to work with other creative people. And that means like opening your mind to who those creative people are. And I think they're often clients. So that's just more of like a philosophical thing for us. If there's a client who's like, don't bother me with this creative stuff. That's what I hired you for. We're okay with that. But back to your ideal client question, I I should have also said our, our, our ideal client also you know, wants to dive in, even if it's sort of uncomfortable sometimes, uh, they, they have something in their heads that, that we can get out together and make something great out of it. My experience has been all the best things have happened that way. So I look at a client like, um, okay, go. And I have to think there can't be <laughs> many better clients than that, just in terms of, mm-hmm. especially as you're thinking like the confidence and ambition. And really all I have to judge on is, is their past video work. So even going back to their, you know, their treadmill 
video for our young listeners who maybe have not seen that before. But, you know, with that kind of body of work behind them, what's it like when OK Go sits down with you and wants to top their previous work? Yeah, the that's that's a uh, kind of a stressful moment because to to try and beat what they did beforehand is a really tall order. It, every, everything they do, the the thing after is is that much better than the one before. Different, but but yeah. always kind of like beating that. And so when we did writings on the wall as a music video it was also a moment when they hadn't made a video in two years and hadn't, hadn't released a new album in two years. Mm-hmm. And they needed to make a big splash. And at first we weren't even sure which song it was going to be. And so we, before we started really working on things, but the, it, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, uh, but fortunately, they're just really amazing to work with. I think they, they're they're probably always aware of th- that pressure that exists, and they they find a way to work with people like us to uh, to make sure that it gets that that level up. Basically, I mean, I we don't we we have them on the client list. Uh, talking about them like a client, I I guess I'm not sure. I'm not sure client is exactly the right word. I'm not sure they would even like <laughs> that word. Like the, but but the reason I think it's not wrong is because they a music video for them. They they are a brand. You know they are um, they have a look and feel. It's very different than making a music video for any other musician because there's an expectation. It's just like any brand that needs to like have those brand guidelines and values. That question came, that same question that they probably always have came up at the beginning of the call, which is, is this going to be a one take video? And that's almost like in the brand guidelines, kind of, if there were brand guidelines, there, there aren't, Mm -hmm. but, but, but yeah, it's a big question because it's really hard to do that and it's hard to pull off. And everyone knows that as soon as you decide that that's what it's going to be, you have a whole like couple months of hell in front of you trying to make <laughs> that work. So I, I, I'm sure Damien and, and the band wouldn't like it to be called like a brand or client or something like that. But I, I don't mind saying that only because I like our clients, our other clients, like actual clients thinking of themselves almost like, okay, go and that their ambition should be on that level. So if it has that effect, that's great. If OK Go says cease and desist talking about us like a client, I'll do that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a <clears throat> bit of a segue, um, I know one of your more recent projects was for Snapchat. So maybe you can give us a little background on that one. Yeah, I, for some re- for some reason, not not any any thing uh, an effort on our own a lot of our clients have been tech brands and in either the social media world or in search or in something like that. And Snapchat is the latest one. And I think some of the reason that we keep on having the opportunity to work on things like that is because we've, we found ways to sort of humanize technology and platforms in ways that other places don't or can't or or haven't done yet. 
And in this case, what I loved about working on, on Snap was that I think there's just something in the air. It, it just felt very relevant to me that there's something in the air right now about our relationship to social media and how we think about it philosophically and culturally in society and just what, what is social media and what is not social media and what is good and what is not. And we actually got to really think about those things as part of this snap project. We basically interviewed, uh, at first we just did it survey based, but eventually started interviewing close to um, 5,000 Snapchatters around the world and just trying to understand how they use the platform. This is in 12 different markets uh, around the globe and trying to understand how we could create stories about the way that people use Snap. And we eventually realized that all the stories were really built into the, some of the content that these Snapchatters were already making with them and their, their best friends or their significant other and so working with the Snapchat team, the Real Friends campaign came together starting at around January of this year. And we just started developing with all these, 12, researching all these 12 markets, meeting these people, getting their content, talking to them, like understanding how they use things and interviewing them. And eventually the interviews and the content just became the work. And it's Snap's first global campaign. They haven't really done a lot of advertising like that. Snap has always had a lot of word of mouth, actually, uh, to grow. But they really need to get the message out of how they're different than normal social media, as we traditional social media as we think of it today. Uh, that's like an Instagram or Facebook or or, some, or Twitter or something like that, where it's all about broadcasting to the world. This is all about direct contact with people you care about, with real friends, quote unquote. And uh, we were able to actually find that content with these real people. So it was really fun. At the end of the day, it was three, three different pairs of people that we narrowed it down to, that we to tell these stories about from each of the 12 markets, so 36 sort of mini stories to tell, and um, the campaign's running now, and it's exciting for us as special guests because we've, we've done work in different countries and things like that, but never for so many markets at once. We're a very small team, you know, we're, to, to be doing like a big global campaign like that as a very small team for a, a brand of that high awareness um, was really exciting. So I got to imagine when you go after these projects with such ambitious clients, there has to be one or two that, <laughs> and maybe, maybe it's just one or two that go, that go sideways or maybe you get stuck in the middle or the robot arm tries to attack the dancer or who knows. But I'm, I'm curious if you have any specific projects you want to talk about that kind of got to that point where you were able to kind of get it back on the rails or, or maybe more generally, what do you do when you get stuck in one of those situations and the initial vision isn't working as you expected? 
Yeah, the, the one example of that, it's a bit more on a directing project for me than a, than a special guest project, but it, it, it's one that, I, that comes to mind to me quite a bit, and I, I try and remember because we always try and learn from our mistakes. But it was uh, for uh, Fuse, is like a, I think it's like a Coke tea brand, essentially. It's like a juice. Um, and I won the pitch on a really kind of wacky idea that I had, which is that it would be a character driven, uh, 60 second spot and the characters would be all costumes built on actors, but the feet of the characters would be these actors hands raised up in the air and the whole <laughs> the whole world would be upside down so everything would be upside down because the 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 shoes are on the hands and up in the air and we we built all these sets upside down and it just looked so cool and it was super fun and the costume design was amazing and there were these fruit characters and you know the the idea it, it fit the concept of fuse which was sort of like an unexpected look at um you know a beverage basically like the way they were combining flavors and things like that and so like turning things upside down was nice and then you know being on set was was awesome just like seeing these actors do this thing upside down and directing that was great and then when the video was done it just looked like it was so kind of flawless that it just looked like it was right side up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, the, the, the whole, the whole, the whole thing, this is a, something that the reason I say it's something I try and remember is that, um, to be, to get to be a maker and to be creative, so much of that is about the moment and getting to see what happens on set and things unfold and work. Uh, and it's good not to let that get in the way of understanding the final outcome come because if you're on set you just saw this like crazy cool thing occur and but if you saw the final piece you didn't necessarily experience that Hmm. and uh we sometimes even try and mitigate that by doing behind the scenes films and things like that but still behind the scenes films get a fraction of the views of the actual work and so the that that's one example just because we like to do experimental unexpected things that we just need to be careful sometimes and that was sort of like a cautionary thing i even remember um at the time one of my i I love julie tamer's work i've always loved julie tamer's work and um at the time she was also doing spider-man on on broadway yeah and i don't know if you remember that but it just it was so ambitious, but kind of fell apart in a way. I think yeah. I, I never, I never got to see it cause it was a really busy time and it wasn't up long enough for me to see, but, but it, it just got all this really tough press and I, it makes sense that it was ambitious. The Lion King that she did on stage was so ambitious and I saw that and loved it. And so I had to think this would work, but you also have to be careful with it. And I was thinking at the time, this is my like mini Julie Taymor moment. It's not that the spot didn't work. It's just that it didn't, it, it could have been shot right side up <laughs> to be honest. <laughs>
Well, you mentioned Julie. Is there anybody else kind of from the creative industry, either from advertising or film, that you either looked up to as you were coming up in the industry or maybe contemporaries that you admire today? Yeah. Uh, the probably, probably like so many people, when I was in college, I, someone gave me the, the Palm Director's DVDs. And so that, the, the first series of that was Michelle Gondry, um, Spike Jones, and Chris Cunningham. And they, all, all three of them, especially Gondry, have always been really big influences. I mentioned Julie Taymor's work and just what she did with costuming and, and design around the human body and performance. And the work of um, Tarsim as well uh, in, even though some people think they're kind of, it's kind of cheesy, but The Cell and The Fall mm-hmm. were both big influences for me. I even rewatched The Matrix recently and remembered what a big influence that was, just seeing that yeah. in, in like eighth and ninth grade. I, I guess it was a tw- the 20 year anniversary recently of uh, when that came out. Which I think makes me a million years old at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's a weird crazy. feeling. It was, and it really, it really, I mean, the graphics, some of the graphics don't hold up, but, but that first one of the trilogy just holds up so well. I think. Yeah. Even like the color treatment and everything, they're just details that were so far ahead of uh, every other film at that point that others would go on to emulate for a really long time. Totally. Yeah. So that, that just, just trying to figure out how they did stuff, you know, I mean, it can be, you can say it's sort of uh, influential, but it's also kind of like just trying to figure out the physics of what they did with a camera that goes for Gondry as well. Uh, Just trying to know, just even test in front of a camera, how, how is he doing the things he was doing that, that, the process of trying to figure those things out was very influential. So maybe for yourself personally, is there a, a moment or thing or project that stands out for you as your proudest professional moment? The, the, it's funny. It's, it's a dual, I, I have to answer it in kind of a dual way because we, we worked on, I got to direct Google's very first, TV commercial, which was a Super Bowl commercial. And they hadn't really done much advertising before that. It wasn't even really supposed to be an ad at first. It was just supposed to be tossed up on YouTube and not much was going to be done with it. Um, but some folks at Google saw it and Sergey Brin saw it and they decided to put it on the Super Bowl as their first ad and now they do a lot of advertising. I didn't even really like the piece that much personally when we first made it, but <laughs> when, when it, when it got on the Super Bowl, it wasn't a proud moment because of the Super Bowl. It was because people who my, my, I knew like my family, my friends, that was the first time they understood what I did. Hmm. And so I don't know if pride or being proud is, is, is it exactly, but I think everyone wants to feel like people, understand what they do, especially when they do when what they do can be really hard or difficult. 
I remember my least proud moment ever was um, when I did decide to go to art school and uh, a family friend at a, some kind of party or something uh, was talking to my dad and my, my dad was like, oh yeah, Aaron's going to art school. And, and this other guy says like, oh, maybe he can make me a, an ashtray out of, you know, clay sometime, uh, you know, no. and that, that's not a, it, it's, it's not a proud moment because he, I felt guilty, you know, that it, that's not something for my parents to be very proud of. Yeah. And so I think the, the, the thing that then switches that is when people get it and they can sort of point to it and say, it's not ashtrays, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it all comes down to that. Yeah. Um, you guys have worked with some amazing clients, as we mentioned earlier, um, and, and done some, especially as you guys call them ambitious and confident projects. But what are maybe some dream clients or dream types of projects you'd still like to undertake in the future? I might not even think of that entirely client-based. Some, something that, I mean, client, if clients want to be involved with this, I'll be really excited about it. But, but I, I've always wanted to create a middle school curriculum around visual literacy basically the the idea that most creative or art class kind of things are always extracurricular in school i think is not quite the right way to think about creativity i think that those kids should understand something about what we do because they're not very um equipped with the ability to protect themselves from a lot of what's out there today visually. We're sort of, we're taught how to read a book and decipher what some of the more abstract things mean in those books, but we're not really taught to do that with visuals and video and GIFs and, and things like that. We sort of accept them very loosely and they have a lot of influence on us in unexpected ways. And in our world, we, we spend a lot of time crafting those things so we understand how they're built. We understand what happens to your brain when you see you know, a, a female model in an advertisement. But most people are sort of just accepting that and it's, it's acting upon them in ways they're not aware of. And I, I, I've always thought that if they're... If, if we're going to spend time teaching kids art, we might also spend time teaching them how to, how to understand visual imagery out there in the world. You know, it's interesting that um, in the digital realm, we are getting that in middle school. We're getting like how to be safe online and how to, mm -hmm. and these are important things, but I think that's a great point that, you know, in addition to those elective or extracurricular art opportunities, why not teach the students kind of the, the visual literacy piece of that as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do with my, my daughter once she gets to those things. I don't think you can really do much about it. It's so the internet and be, being, seeing things everywhere. Uh, 
I just hope that people can be more equipped than we are today, which is that you see a Facebook post and we live in, we live in a world where the idea of fake and real is so blurred and hard to understand and debated and probably always will be from now on. So there's not really that much you can do about that. You can't stop whatever bots coming from whatever country from doing what they're doing, but you can learn enough to protect yourself from them. Right. And so I, I think rather yeah, there's going to be some policy out there that will try and stop bots. I'm not super confident about that. So the, I think we, we need to teach ourselves from much younger ages. I mean, we, we don't really learn this stuff until we get to college. And I think that's a little late. Yeah. So as I would guess you're someone who is rather visually literate, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious where you go, where you go for inspiration. You know, you're creating this amazing stuff. Where, where do you look to to find new ideas or to kind of bring a fresh take to the next project? I, I, I find it coming more from, uh, looking at science, uh, science experiments or engineering experiments, things that maybe weren't necessarily meant for the creative world, so to speak, but are either like anomalies in science or perception. I love visual illusions, especially because there's a, a sort of brain science to it. And I, I like looking for inspiration in those areas and trying to figure out how they can apply to the stories that we're telling or designs we're creating uh, or sets that we're building. That That is usually the place that where I get particularly inspired. It's super fun. I can definitely, now that you've said that, I can see that in some of your pieces. So Guys, when you head over to the show notes page for this episode, I'll drop a couple of those YouTube clips uh, in so you can see what he's talking about. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask creatives is, as I've found, we as creative people get really obsessed with things really easily and <laughs> maybe are juggling a couple obsessions at any given time. So I'm curious what you find it is that you're most obsessed with right now. <laughs> I'm particularly obsessed with my uh, having a baby right now. That's, That's that is one of, the, one of the one of the big things. I think it's hard not to be at the moment, but in the in the work world and the things that we're creating, I I've this, this sort of stems off of the the illusion conversation we were just having. I recently started um, talking a lot to a professor of neuroscience and psychology at NYU, and he's had me into his class to lecture a couple times. Uh, in a, um, he teaches a class on, on how the brain processes illusions. And I guess I'm obsessed with it at the moment just because it feels so relevant. It's hard, it's, it's hard to work 
on the things that we do sometimes now outside of the context of everything that's going on around us, the, 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 the world around us right now. And it's hard, probably everyone feels this way in their own working world, but it's hard to separate what we do from, from some of what's out there. And I think what we do is we, we find new ways of communicating with people and telling stories. And I, I think those new ways of communicating can harm as can harm people as well in some cases. So it has me just thinking a lot about what we do in the context of what people receive today and how we can just be smart about the things that we're creating and understand like how the brain works. And um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with that at the moment. It, I've, it's kind of hard to say at the moment because I've always loved visual illusions, but especially learning from this professor at NYU and, and understanding how the brain processes these kinds of things and how we have a role in maybe, maybe um, uh, helping the direction of things right now if, if we can play like a small role. You know, especially the role that you guys play in creating these new ways of communicating that kind of brings us full circle to Spider-Man with the, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> but maybe, maybe in addition to that piece of advice, um, I'm curious if you have a favorite piece of advice either to share within your companies or maybe a favorite piece of advice that you've received yourself. Yeah. Um, the, well, the, the, to stem off of what we were just talking about, actually, the, the first piece of advice would be to consider, consider illusions. We have, a, we have a project that we're working on called Illusions for a Better Society. And the theory of it is that if you could look at different, a different illusion every day and be surprised by it and enjoy looking at it, could that be sort of a therapy to help cure closed mindedness hmm. or help, help see, th see someone else's point of view a little bit better. If you could consider that you were a hundred percent sure that you were seeing a can of soda on the table, but it was actually painted there. If your brain is capable of being a hundred percent certain and then realizing it was a hundred percent wrong, would you be willing to consider that something else that you're hundred percent certain about that's not a visual illusion could be something that you might be wrong about. And um, so that, that, that's the, the first, I guess one bit of advice is just consider illusions. Um, another, what's another bit of advice someone's given to me? Um, People tell me to sleep a lot. I should take that. <laughs> I, I should. I should take that advice. It's hard to do with a baby right now, but but in general, I should take that advice. I don't know. I can follow up with you on on advice that I've heard from people. It's, there's been so much good advice, but it's sort of drawing a blank at the moment. Sure. Well, we can tag that on in the show notes. So, um, 
maybe we will um, help you take folks up on that advice and we can wrap up here shortly so you can go get some some extra shut eye <laughs> <laughs> but before we let you go um let all our listeners know where they can connect with you online and uh check out your companies on the interwebs oh sure yeah so we are as a company at specialguest.co if you do want to go to specialguest.com that's also a treat but it's not our company I'll just say that the, the someday, someday we'll get that URL. We have a short film we want to make called special quest, which is the quest to get our real.com uh-huh. domain. Someday okay. we'll make that video. Um, yeah. That, so that's specialguest.co. I'm at Duff slam on Instagram, D U F S L A M. And I'm honestly not on the interwebs, all of that often and social media is very often, but happy to have people try and contact me through, through Instagram if they want to. Excellent. Well, Aaron, it was very interesting learning about your business model and how you guys approach doing such ambitious work. So thanks for chatting today. Thanks so much, Josh. I really appreciate it. It was super fun. Yeah. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's show number 129, officially in the books. For all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com. And for those of you who are still listening, you are the obsessed of the obsessed. And if you'd like to support what's going on here at Obsessed Show, I would love it if you would check out patreon.com slash Josh Miles and see if you'd like to kick in a few bucks an episode. It would mean a ton to me. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can get all of today's show notes on our website, still at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. The Obsessed Show may or may not have had OK Go on repeat at Miles Herndon a branding firm in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Visit milesherman.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.